welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I Think You're Interesting. My guest this week is Phil Rosenthal. He's one of my favorite guys to talk to in Hollywood. Uh, I've talked to him many times over the years, and I think that his career path is, I, I hope that someday it can be my career path. He's the co-creator of the TV show Everybody Loves Raymond, which was one of my favorite sitcoms for the nine years it was on the air. And after that, he's written a book. He's made a movie about exporting Raymond to Russia. And now he is the host of a food travelogue show, which just seems like, you know, not a thing most sitcom creators are doing with their spare time. It's called Somebody Feed Phil, and its second season debuts on Netflix on Friday, January 12th. I love talking to Phil because he's always got some weird perspective on on what's happening. He's he's like that. He's like that funny uncle that you always had at your family gatherings, uh, who always had like some strange story about his adventures and mishaps. And I'm looking forward to talking to Phil about his show and about all of his exploits in the past and just whatever he's been up to recently, because I'm sure he'll have something exciting to say about it. But I just start in the most important place of all, which is how do you convey to the viewer how what you're eating tastes great because he has one of those great I'm eating something amazing faces and uh, we're going to start there I hope you enjoy it Phil, thank you for joining me. Hello. <laughs> I want to start in kind of an interesting place because as I was watching your show, I was thinking about this, like making the face when you've eaten food <laughs> and like, like, because watching somebody eat is not inherently an interesting thing to do. You're right. But like, if that person has a good, like food face, like huh. then it is interesting because you're like sort of secondhand experiencing what the food tastes like. So have you just always been able to do that or are you like like now that you've done two seasons of the show, have you like coached yourself into a place where you can God, can't? no. God, there's no <laughs> acting on the show. I can promise you that. You're seeing real reactions. Sometimes I don't like something. Mm-hmm. You get that face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm blessed or cursed with a the worst poker face in history. You can tell what I'm thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It reads all over me. Yeah. So I could never lie very well to my parents. They always knew. I'm just uh, – some people have that face i guess i have that face uh if people laugh if they think it's if if they get enjoyment if they say that oh i can taste it because of the way your face is tasting it well, that's great i'm right. happy to happy to help what was the thing that you tried you've been all over the world now yeah uh, 12 episodes of this show what is the thing that you tried that you were sure you were going to hate that you ended up liking oh that's oh wow so in mexico city right which is one of these six yeah they, Bill Esparza took me. He's the taco expert of the world. He, he was in the L.A. episode when we did that. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm taking you to a place. I'm going to give you three tacos. I'm not going to tell you what's in them. <laughs> so right away, you know, I, I, I love surprises. Yeah. But this could be a bad surprise. Yeah, exactly. And I took a big bite out of the first one. Mm-hmm. They could, it would be a good surprise. And it was a bad surprise. <laughs> I don't even want to tell you what it was. I'll save it for the show. <laughs> okay. All right. But it was not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second one, not good. Okay. The third one, I'm now my bites are getting smaller because I the monkey learns a little yeah. bit. <laughs> Here it comes. Great. Amazing. So I was expecting terrible. The first two were terrible. The sure. third one was great. Was that a was that a plan by by your friend or nope? <laughs> because he liked all of them. Okay. 
He likes even the disgusting one to me. Yeah. He thinks it's great. But yeah. that's his culture. That's what he grew up with. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you what it was, you'll say, oh, I don't, wouldn't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you give us like a hint as to like what uh, animal family? Yes, it's a part of the cow. Okay. That we don't eat here. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, I So the, like tell me a little bit about how you came to do this show because – as I was saying in the, the genesis, inter- the, uh, yeah. the superhero origin story. As I was saying in the introduction, um, I can't think of a lot of uh, people who created sitcoms and then went on to host food travelogues. But maybe there's somebody else. There could be. But listen, you know, Larry David, mm. he worked behind the scenes on Seinfeld. Right. I work behind the scenes on Raymond. He now has a show that's a full expression of who he really is. Yes. And you see him. Mm-hmm. This is me, right? <laughs> he's, like doing, he's doing what he loves. I, I'm doing what I love. Right. This show combines, when I think about it, everything I love in life. So what do I mean? Well, I get to make a show. I right. love making a show. Mm-hmm. I love making people laugh. I love every part of show business. Right. Writing, directing, editing, producing, acting even, right? Performing. Right. So I'm on camera, I'm off camera, I'm doing, I'm, uh, you know, making this show. I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. I love every aspect of the business except the business. Huh. Yeah. The, in show business, the business is the part that keeps you from doing the show part yeah. of show business. <laughs> exactly. So now what's the show about? Everything else I love in life. <laughs> Food, travel, laughs, family, friends. Mm-hmm. I'm combining everything. So for me, this is the dream Right. To get to do this. I'm the luckiest bastard you'll ever meet. Right. That's how I feel. Grateful, lucky. Uh, I wish this for everybody to do the thing that they love with people that they love. Right. That's what I'm getting to do now. So how long did it take me to do this? I'm going to say concentrating on it. Like I want to do this. Ten years. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Because they don't hand this the dreams out right. <laughs> to people. They, <laughs> yeah. You have to work at it. But if you're going to work at something, like I could be knocking my head against the wall to do a, a sitcom that I don't particularly want to do right. just to get another sitcom on. Right. I already was very, 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 very lucky doing the one I did. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I haven't tried to do more. Yeah. For some reason, they either don't want what I do anymore or we haven't found it yet. Mm. Or I'm not crazy about what they want me to do. Right. So – um, uh, to be fair, it is a two-way street. Yeah. You know, I'm being picky and they're being picky. That's fine. And maybe that was – maybe I was a one-hit sitcom wonder. That's also possible. Okay. I don't know. Uh, but I can tell you that I've tried mm-hmm. and so far it hasn't happened again. Now, this show got planted in my head when we did the Italy episode of Raymond. Okay. I don't know if you remember that episode. I do. I do, Yes. That episode came about because at the end of season one, I said to my friend Raymond, where are you going on your hiatus, your little vacation in between seasons? He said, I go to the Jersey Shore. (laughs) And I said, oh, that's great. Uh, Hey, have you ever been to Europe? He goes, nope. I said, why not? He goes, I'm not really interested in other cultures. (laughs) Even Italy, his own culture, not interested. So light bulb goes off. Got to do that episode. Yeah. Got to do that episode where we send him over. As Ray Romano, yeah, guy not interested, and send him back as me, guy very interested, guy very excited about travel and 
the food and the eating in Italy specifically. This yeah. is one of the great things you could do in life. So I write this script about the transformation of a guy who doesn't want to go somewhere and who falls in love with the idea of travel, right. of Italy, of the food in Italy, of the everything I said. And damn it, if we didn't see it happen in the show, nice episode, mm -hmm. we see uh, Ray's transformation. And what I saw was the transformation, not just of the character, but of the person. Oh. And that's when the big light bulb went off. Mm. There's... To me, I get such pleasure in turning you on to something that I love. Right. And when it's seeing that, your eyes light up the way mine do. Yeah. The thing I'm excited about, I want you to be excited about. And so turning people on to this, food, travel, other cultures, people in other cultures, from other cultures, the world would be better if we all could experience a little of someone else's experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Since that moment, I said, I wish I could do a show yeah. where I do that. Yeah. And it took that long of knocking my head against the Hollywood wall, mm -hmm. trying to get all the other shows going that mm. went either a little bit or didn't go at all. Or And, and you just keep trying and trying. And listen, I'm, I, I, I got to do a movie where I went to Russia. That also helped me get this show. I did Exporting Raymond, which is the story of me going to Russia to try to help them turn my show into Everybody Loves Kostya. <laughs> That's on Netflix too, by the way. You could see that too. Uh, Exporting Raymond is a uh, documentary I made. Uh, how many years ago now? It's, yeah, I do. Six years ago. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, PBS saw that and said, we like the idea of you going places. Mm -hmm. I said, so does my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I do have this idea. I've had this idea for a long time. What if there was a show where I went around the world and showed you where to eat as yeah. an effort to get you to travel? He said, Yes. My brother said, when I told him, I'm going to have to do this show. He goes, really? You get that show? He goes, what, what are you going to call the show? The Lucky Bastard? <laughs> well, we called the production company that. We couldn't call the show that. But. Um, do, do, you, to, to you, do food and travel go like hand in hand? Does like yes. going to another place and like yes. also trying the food like that's, yeah. I'll go one step further. I'm planning my vacation around the food. Okay. Where do they have good food? Mm. I want to go there. Yeah. And then... That's the great connector. You know, that's mm -hmm. the way in. And then we find all the other beautiful things to love about the place. Right. But for me, the food, that's what I love trying the most from the other culture. And it is culture. Yeah. Food is culture. A fresh new year has begun. I don't know if you've noticed, but it, it has for me. It's raining in Los Angeles. It only happens when the new year arrives. So if you're setting new goals for your business, it's extremely difficult to reach them without the right people on your team. ZipRecruiter has transformed how you go about finding those right people. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And you can find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash think. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash think. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com 
slash think. I think that one of the things that's fascinating about the show is the way you use food as a way to start to talk about people. Yes. Like uh, the Bangkok episode, which I yes. think is the premiere of season two. I, I think I it's, uh, you know, uh, on Netflix, you get all six at yeah. once. You can <laughs> watch them in any order you want, people. Yeah. But uh, like that episode really has a, a great section about uh, like the floating markets. Yes. And, um, and like how you often can tell a lot about like a culture from going to a market and just like – uh, seeing the food that's sold there, what people are eating, things yeah. like that. What What is it that you think is like, why is food such a great window into understanding people? They spend a lot of time on it. Sometimes it's the only bright spot in their lives. Mm. You know, uh, sometimes that's their role in life is to make food. Mm. And so it defines them. I make the best cow soy, <laughs> you mm. know, in yeah. this province. Mm-hmm. That's a family pride. We have the equivalent here. Mm-hmm. We have mom and pop shops where that guy makes uh, the best sandwich you ever had and you go, you want to go. Mm-hmm. So it's the same all over the world and people love it because it's a break in their day. The food is the break of their humdrum lives where they have to work, work, work hard. Oh, but I get that bowl of cow soy mm-hmm. at the end of the day or in the middle of the day. That makes my day. That's how I feel about every lunch I have. Yeah, I plan my whole day about where I'm going to have lunch <laughs> because it's the tent pole in the middle of my day. I'll work, work, work all morning, but I got lunch coming. Yeah. Here, I got so, that thing to look forward to. I'm going to meet my friend there and we're going to have fun and it's going to be delicious and we're trying a new place. And then I've had that. Now I can work the afternoon mm. until dinner. <laughs> right? So, yeah. so I, uh, it's, I think it defines people. It's a point of national pride. We should never let that get homogenized out of existence. Right. You know, McDonald's, you do well enough. You don't have to be across the street from the Duomo in Florence. Right. Hmm. Let them have their culture. Let these people. We need to preserve this. It makes life worth living. Mm -hmm. I want to be, selfishly, I want to be able to go there and have the best pasta I ever had in my life. Yeah. You know, I do know people who are afraid to try stuff, who go to foreign countries and they look for McDonald's. Yeah. Why go? This is the culture to try what they, the centuries sometimes, thousands of years went into this dish of noodles. Yeah. Mm. Why wouldn't you want to taste it? Mm. Yeah. I ate at a McDonald's in the Amsterdam airport and I'm very sorry for that. <laughs> By the way, I heard that certain in certain McDonald's around the world – some of the ingredients may be slightly different from here, yeah. and there are these variances. I'm not saying never go. Right. It might be interesting to yeah. go. But please, you got to try the other stuff. You might like it. We're not children. We tell our kids, try it. What's the yeah. worst that happens? Yeah. I don't like it. But the trying is the, you know, the journey is its own reward. To me, the tasting is its own reward. Excellent. Um, I, you did an episode about Los Angeles. Uh, loved it. The loved season. Yeah, and I love living here. This, the world is here. How long have you? How long have you lived here? Half my life. Now. Half your life. Okay. But the second half. The first half was New York. And to me, Los Angeles, New York, they're both like the great thing about their culinary tradition is it's from everywhere. Everywhere comes here. Exactly and right. Blends up together. So if you can't travel every day, yeah, the world comes to you. What did you learn about the city you've lived in half your life from making an episode about the food here that maybe you hadn't thought of before? I didn't like it when I first came here. 
Oh, yeah. I was a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker. Woody Allen taught me how to feel about L.A. And mm. so that was my prejudice. I felt that this was going to be a vapid, sunny, smoggy place with no culture. You know, the only uh, he said the only cultural advantage is you can take a, a right turn on a red light. Yeah. <laughs> and and – uh you know, he he in in the Annie Hall, he ordered a, a a plate of mashed yeast from a health food restaurant, right? So I thought that's what I'm going into land of fruits and nuts and crazies and. So, I get here and it's kind of how I felt because mm-hmm. I was I was almost made to feel that way. Yeah. And soon I found a place or two that I like to eat. Oh, mm-hmm. this is good. This place is good. And then another one. And then another one. And then. It just so happened that coinciding with my arrival came the food revolution in Los Angeles. Right. And I saw it evolve during my time here. Yeah. It became the worst food city in America to now, I honestly think, the best. Yeah. Because of our diversity. We have the biggest populations of ethnic people outside their homelands in the world. Yeah. Biggest Korean population outside of Korea. Right? right, biggest Japanese, biggest biggest Mexican, so many uh, here, and you can travel without leaving the city. You can go to another land. You can tr- you can visit every province of China mm. by going to the San Gabriel Valley and going to the different neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorite things to do is yeah. to go exploring in that area with someone who knows. Mm. Yeah. What's uh what's a cuisine you've had in Los Angeles that you haven't been fortunate enough to like travel to where it where it comes from? Uh Ethiopian. Oh yeah. <laughs> Meals by Gannett on Fairfax. You know yeah. there's little Ethiopia right there. I haven't tried them all because I'm in love with her and that food. Have you had that? I have not. I'll Spectacular. have to. I love Ethiopian. Though. Oh my yeah. god, it's good. I did go to South Africa. I didn't go to Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. But I was in Cape Town and I tried some Ethiopian food there. I feel like close enough. <laughs> and it was great. It's great. Yeah. I would say Gannett is just as good. Yeah. 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 Um, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That you could actually be in Africa and have African food and then come back to LA and maybe it's a little better here. Right. Right. If you were going to take me out to lunch and you're going to go to a place where it just wouldn't fail, you don't even have to name the place, but like what, what are you looking for in a spot where you know you're going to get something good if you're the taking The best of stuff? that thing, like the elevated version of maybe something that you know well from childhood. Right. Or something you've had your whole life. And there is something that's popping to my the front of my mind. Oh, great. It's a chicken sandwich. Okay. Doesn't sound very exciting. No. But there's a place, I don't know if you've been yet, called Howlin' Rays. Oh, how, yes. I've been there many times. It's amazing. Yeah. Is there a better chicken sandwich on earth? No. No, so there's not. So there it is. It's a fried chicken sandwich. with uh, You can get it in various degrees of hotness. The hottest one being Howlin'. Yeah. Hence the name. I get medium. I can't go above medium. Can you? <laughs> uh, I have gone hot before. and I, It hurts. I, yeah, it does. It hurts my lips. I, I, I took one bite of hot and my lips hurt for 20 minutes. I actually, when I, uh, my in-laws wanted to try it. So yeah. we ordered one chicken wing that was howling. Oh. And we all took like a bite of it. And you did? It, it turned all of us into like, just like we were dissolving into tears. So. Wow. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Well, no, because it, it reaches a point where. You're not experiencing flavor. Right. Just pain. Right. So why not just staple your tongue? <laughs> right? Why Why bother? Right. If, if you want pain, do that. I don't like uh, when food is is so not about the flavor. Right. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like a restaurant that's not about how delicious the food is. I should say that my in-laws and I are all very bland white Midwesterners. So we like, you know, we eat like gigantic plates of carbohydrates. Like that is but our I, lo- I love that you you guys tried that though. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. very adventurous. Way more than me. Yeah. Like if I knew that if hot was going to medium was getting everything you want out of a spicy yeah. food. Mm-hmm. I was sweating, nose running, eyes watering, and yet so delicious, so much flavor still mm-hmm. that you can't stop. Yeah. The endorphins are going. You know, they say this kind of spicy food gives you that runner's high. Yeah. You know, the endorphins. The same thing when you eat chocolate or when you're naturally happy. Right. This food does that to you. This fried chicken sandwich, I think they pound the breast out so that it's the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. On a regular size bun that's kind of one of those squishy in and out buns. Yeah. That go down real easy. And then the the sauce they have with it and the I think there's coleslaw on it also. It's a perfect combination of flavors. I dream about that. And I would go way more often if the line wasn't yeah. an hour and a half. <laughs> right? Speaking of lines, because uh, you you had mentioned, I, I was going to mention the line. And in some of the episodes, you're like, you come across a big line. And yes. you're like, I'm just going to stand in line until right. t- t- I see what this is. You have and, to sometimes. Especially you, in another country. It's like, if you're, if you're trying street food in Bangkok, yeah. how do you know which one? Yeah. How do you know which one is, first of all, safe? Yeah. I think, you know, you don't see people dying in the street, so you're thinking it's all okay. Right. But what's that line? Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not an hour. It's, to, it's 15 minutes. I'll do it. Yeah. So we do it. Do you like the process of standing in line? Do you, like, is that a thing that you enjoy? Because sometimes that's like a great way to get to know people too, you know? I do not like standing in line. <laughs> I do not. I uh, reached a certain age where that's enough. I yeah. once, I remember in, in uh, Chicago, there was this hot dog place I love called Hot Dogs. Oh, yes, Hot Dogs. Best, I've been there. best, yeah. best dogs yeah. in America, maybe. He doesn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Closed. But I, I had it, and I, I had my wife uh, uh, in Chicago then. Uh, another time, I said, we're going to Hot Dogs. You got to try these hot dogs. And we go, and we get online. And I didn't know how long it would be. The first time I went, there wasn't a line. This line, hour and a half. Oh, wow. I didn't enjoy waiting an hour and a half for anything, but damn, if those dogs weren't worth it. <laughs> they were. I They agree. were. Yeah. They were. Where's he now? Uh, Somebody he, tell me where he went. I believe that he opened uh, new hot dogs in like Wrigley Field. Like there, you can only go to, I think it's either Wrigley or it's whatever. See, now that Park's would make me it. like sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. And there are these geniuses. I think one of the great things to find in food is the idealized version of what we loved as a kid. Yeah. You know that moment in Ratatouille? Yeah. Not only is it the best food moment in the history of movies, but it's the one of the best moments of any kind in the history of movies. In this Pixar animated yeah. movie, the food critic who's a jerk for most of the movie tastes the Ratatouille and is zam. Transported to when he was a kid and his mother gave him ratatouille. That is the power of food and flavor and taste and memory and how it's all connected. And it's so identifiable. That is a universal thing that they hit on. Right? That's what we look for, I think, when we're – that's the the ultimate. The the simple thing that's going to transport you to happy time. Yeah, yeah. Right? You uh, when you meant when you mentioned that uh, what we're 
sort of the idealized version of the thing you you liked as a kid? Like were, were hot dogs your thing you liked as a kid? Or what was the thing you liked as a kid that now you – All the things that Americans like. Yeah. <laughs> hot dogs, pizza, hamburgers. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All, all the junk food, all the all that. I love that. I would be – I'm just as happy, if not happier, with the great version of one of those things than the four-star French meal. Yeah. In fact, I'm a little over it. Mm. The sitting for three, four hours with the white tablecloth on the fancy surface. Don't need it. I did it. I'm lucky that I did it. I advise everyone to do it once in their life to experience that because that's transporting in a different way. Right. You're suddenly, oh, I'm being treated like a king. Mm. And I'm yeah. getting the some of the fanciest, most beautiful. You, you actually, plates come and you go, you made this for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I know I'm paying and probably paying a lot. But you're, this is a work of art. And then it's delicious on top of it. This is, you know. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. But if you've been lucky enough to do it several times, you're now looking for, I don't know, the minimalist version. Yeah. The stripped down version. I don't care what a place looks like. You see in the Bangkok episode, I go to a shack where they have cow soy, a bowl of cow soy. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the happiest moments of my life to have that bowl of delicious. You know what it's in there? Should we tell the people? Sure. Go for it. There's a bowl of coconut curry soup, a big bowl, right. enough for three people. Mm-hmm. Coconut curry soup, stay with me, big piece of chicken, like whole drumstick, whole thigh in there, over the freshest noodles, like handmade, just made, yeah. like fresh pasta in an Italian restaurant. That's at the bottom of this bowl. Then they sprinkle pickled mustard greens some chilies, some scallions, some uh, sliced onions, all to balance out, you know, the kind of uh, flavor of the curry and the coconut the sweetness of that. So you're getting a little pungent, a little vinegary, a little spicy. Then on top of it all, crispy noodles. Right. So all the textures are now working. You can either get the chicken one, you can get the beef one, which is fresh cut beef, grass-fed beef. I tasted this thing. This is one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten in my life. I never finish anything on the show. Why? Because I'm getting a lot. And I have a crew looking at me salivating, so I have to (laughs) share it with them. And I want to share it with them. It's only good if you could share it. Right. But I tasted this thing. I'm I'm eating this whole thing. And I am then going to eat the entire bowl, and I did, of the beef. Yeah. What does a bowl of this cost for the most delicious thing you've ever eaten in your life? Well, in Chiang Mai, Thailand, Mm -hmm. this costs one dollar. Okay. Worth going. <laughs> right? If yeah. you want the chicken and beef combo, $1.50. Wow. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, got to have a deal. Can't just say. Uh... <laughs> I mean, that is a happy memory. Yeah. yeah. To have that. And it was so good. Not only did I eat both bowls, but when we weren't filming, on the way to the airport, off camera, went back. <laughs> yeah. That is the thing I wonder about, like, as you are filming these episodes, I actually don't know how long you are in. Uh, a ten days. Ten days. Place. Okay. Yeah. So you are spreading out the eating a little bit. Like, how are how much are you eating as you're like making one of these episodes? I'm eating every day like a person, but <laughs> well, I'm e- maybe eating a little more than the regular person. I'm right. eating maybe two to three meals a day, I guess. Sometimes more if we see something undeniable. Right. What do I mean? Walking down the street, here's a pastry shop with the most incredible looking pastries you ever saw in Lisbon. Mm. 
which you didn't expect. I thought Paris had the pastries. No, Lisbon, every other shop is a bakery with these Portuguese pastries, yeah. these pastels, which are these like egg custard tarts that are kind of burned on the top, like a, you get in the Chinese restaurant, but like twice the size and really fresh and creamy. Yeah. Unbelievably delicious. That's the national like pastry thing, at least in Lisbon. It's uh, the, the big hit. So you're going to have the one or two of those a day. Yeah. So that adds up. You know, and you pass a gelato store, you got to have that, especially if you see a lot of people. Yeah. Mm. What do they know? <laughs> so, yes. However, like I said, I can't, it would be stupid for me to finish everything. Yeah. I can't do it. And here's the other thing. People say, you know, you're a skinny guy. How do you do it? I work out every day so that I can eat. Yeah. And I don't really eat when I'm doing the show. I don't really eat until we're filming. Yeah. It's like the dog food commercials. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you starve the dog before the, he has to eat on camera. So I understand that. I want to be enthusiastic when the food comes. Mm -hmm. I got into a situation once where I was doing another show way before this. It's kind of a test. But we went somewhere and every day I was having three to four fancy four-star white tablecloth meals. Right. Well, it was crazy. It was never-ending, and you don't want the thing that you love to be the thing that you dread. Yeah. You want to say when the dish comes to the table, you want to say, oh, boy, not, oh, no. Mm. And it can become that if you're not careful. So, you know, you have a little discipline. You regulate. You, 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 you figure it out. Yeah. Uh, now I'm good at it. Yeah. Now I got good at it. Mm -hmm. That is kind of an interesting thing because— like I do travel overseas a, yeah. a, f a fair amount, like not as much as you, but, <laughs> um, and like it is like, you can do it within a budget. Like, obviously you need some money to be able to like fly to Europe, of course, whatever, but of course, but it's worth saving for. That's what yeah. I'm trying to tell people. Mm -hmm. Like we, we spend money on stupid things yeah, on shiny objects. I'm telling you, there's nothing beats experience because that's something you'll always have and you'll treasure it more than anything else you can physically buy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember like a, a trip you took or a moment you had when you were like, yes, travel is for me. I want to keep doing Yes. This. I didn't travel at all until mm -hmm. I was 23 years old. I, I mean, we literally didn't go anywhere. We went to Atlanta once mm -hmm. when I was nine big for family thing. Went to Florida once when I was 12. Went to Disney World when it was half built. Mm. They didn't even have the Magic Kingdom fully built. Oh, wow. Pirates of the Caribbean wasn't even built mm. when we went. And it was still the happiest day of my life. I turned to my mother and I said, this is the happiest day of my life. And she said, oh, come on. <laughs> she didn't get it. She didn't get that, that this was, you know, to be taken out of my little world and be placed in a magical kingdom right. was magical to me. Uh, that stayed with me. Yeah. That feeling of wanting to explore. I think that's, I, now that I think about it, I think that's one great thing that the Disney people do. They mm -hmm. maybe awaken a sense of travel in people. Yeah. We go to their perfectly fake world, but what is their fake world representing? Another time and place. Yeah. That's, that's really what that place is. It is a vacation from your life. Right. Well, guess what? The real Disney world is out there. Yeah. <laughs> when you're in a floating market in Thailand, when you're sitting in a little boat 
driven by a man who's who's working the motor on the back of that boat, and he's, you're just putt putt putting down this little river, and you're sidling up to other boats. And what's in those other boats? People selling food. Yeah, and they're selling they're selling not only produce and things you can buy for home, like you're shopping, but there's stoves on the boat, mm. and you get the pad thai noodles. And it's not just pad thai noodles; they're good for being on a boat. The best pad thai noodles you ever had in your life. Yeah. Like incredible ingredients, like a stuff that you never saw before and tasted before, and it's spectacular. And Disney's got nothing on this. <laughs> we go on a small world ride. They wave at you. You're not, they're not feeding you. <laughs> this is, you're getting unbelievable food and experience, and you're really there. Yeah. You're really there, and you're seeing the daily life. This is an unbeatable experience. So where'd you go when you were 23? That? Oh, I uh, got a job. It wasn't a job, really. I guess they had a DHL courier service. It was like FedEx. DHL is now a worldwide company. But before DHL was DHL, they sent all their stuff as a passenger's excess, excess baggage. Okay. That's how they were able to save money. So they would give you the luggage tags for all, these, all this excess baggage of yours, right. buy you one coach ticket on an airline that was going to Europe or anywhere else in the world. Two weeks later, you were going to come back and do the same thing. Mm. The, your flight was free as long as you did this. As long as you got off the plane and gave those luggage tags to the guy with the DHL sign on the other end, you were now free to go spend two weeks any way you want. They're not paying you. Yeah. But two weeks later, you come back, do it on the way back. Both flights are free. Mm -hmm. This is undeniable. You have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it. Me and my friends were doing this. Mm -hmm. So I did it the first time. Landed in, where did I land? I want to say Brussels. Okay. As soon as I hit Brussels, my friend who I was meeting, who had taken the same trip the day before, because they do it every day. So mm -hmm. if if you and I were to go, you'd take the Brussels fright Monday. I would take the Brussels fright Flight Tuesday, and then I'd meet you, and then we'd have two weeks, and you would leave on the, you know, two weeks later Monday. I would leave two weeks later Tuesday. Okay. Right away to Paris. Mm. He had some friends in Paris. We stay on their couch. We die, you know, Paris. Yeah. 23, Paris. I didn't have any money. I didn't need any money. I was seeing Paris. I was eating, you know, bread with ham in the park. I was having a crepe. I was having, you know, you can Eat very well for very little. That's what people don't realize. You don't need a lot. You don't need to stay, especially I'm talking to people who are young now. Mm -hmm. You don't need to stay in a fancy hotel. I didn't. I stayed in a hostel or what's called a pensione, which is just a notch above a hostel yeah. in Italy. Yeah. So we went We went to Paris. We stayed there five days and then, and then a train, overnight train with a sleeper car. Down through the Alps to Florence, Italy. Mm. And in that car, I met two Italian kids, uh, Dania and Dario Landi from Florence, who were in Paris for their little vacation, same age as me. They're just dating at this time. We stay up all night. We have drinks. They tell me what's great about Florence. They are my friends for life. Wow. 30 years later, if you saw that Italy episode uh, of, the, of the last show, I reunite with them. Yeah. And- I'm telling you, there's no greater thing. The best part of this whole travel thing are the friends I've made around the world. Yeah. That's the best. The the food and hopefully humor are just the way in yeah. to the people. You know, I always say food is the great connector and laughs are the cement.
Yeah. That we that that we bond over those two things. First we're going to eat and if we're eating and and we make each other laugh, that's everything. And now you're friends. Mm. That's the world. I I say uh instead of a wall, how about a table? Yeah. Yeah. So you probably have some New Year's resolutions you're still trying to keep and you probably haven't broken them just yet. It's early enough into January. Now, audiobooks are a great way to help you be a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. I really am trying to be healthier in 2018, and that means that I'm trying to sleep more. And I have found The Sleep Revolution to be an interesting book. It's, it's, it's a lot of great stuff about sleep. Some of it you might know, some of you might not know. And if that book sounds interesting to you, you could check it out or many others that will help you keep up with your resolutions on Audible. It helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices. You can pick up exactly where you left off, whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo. You can get through tons of books, hands and eyes free, while doing almost anything. And you know what? Audible members get a credit every month good for any audiobook in the store, regardless of price. An unused credits roll over to the next month. If you didn't like it, you can exchange it. No questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. So start a 30-day trial. Your first audiobook is free. And here's how you're going to do that. You're going to go to audible.com slash interesting. Or you can text interesting to 500-500, and that's how you get started. Let me say that again, audible.com slash interesting, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash interesting, or text interesting to 500-500 to get started. I have often, uh, when I first went to France. Yeah was at the height of protests over the uh, uh, George W. Bush Iraq war. Yep. Um, and there were, of course, people there protesting, but like everyone there was so kind to me and they, I was obviously yep. an American. Yes. And I was like, okay, I had sort of like, I had sort of had drummed into me, you know, by the propaganda of the time that like France is this like place full of crazy peaceniks or whatever. And yep. like, it was such a nice moment. And I think about that all the time in terms of like how much better, you know, this is a very cliche kind of goopy thing to say, but how much better we'd understand each other if like we just like traveled more, you know? That's the whole point of the show. Mm-hmm. And isn't that great? They know what I'm learning, which is this is a generalization. People are way better than their governments. Mm. That's a generalization, of course. But I'm finding that the people I meet in America from different places, the people I meet overseas, they're so much better than what you heard yeah. their government policies were. Yeah. Right? Mm. People are people. Yeah. I'm very proud of the Israel show that we did. I don't know if you got to see that one yet, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Tel Aviv show, because I don't focus on conflict at all. There is plenty more good stuff going on than bad. Right. And it was very easy for me to show that. Right. It wasn't I had to dig. The news only shows you conflict because that's what news is. Right. They don't show you today's, oh, breaking news, people getting along. <laughs> breaking news, this one wants to kill that one. This one shouldn't be here. This one shouldn't be there. They want them out. They're building. They shouldn't build. They should. I didn't want to deal with it. You, we have enough of it. Yeah. I can easily show you why you should go to Israel mm. to see Jews and Arabs living 
not just in peace, but celebrating together, being wonderful neighbors, having a great time, having no need for police right. in their town. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And the food yeah. <laughs> that they borrow from each other. Israeli cuisine is an amalgam of everything around them in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So you're getting food from Turkey, from, from Syria, from, from Jordan, from Lebanon, from right uh, uh, Palestinian cuisine, all. And you see Jews and Palestinians working together. Right. Like, uh, you never see this on the news. Yeah. So I, I, I can't tell you how happy my little food and travel show, you know, can show that. Yeah. Yeah. Food is such a great way to just approach people's day-to-day lives, too. Because, yes. like, everybody eats every day. Like Everybody eats, so we have to eat. Yeah. But, again, it's the thing we look forward to also. Yeah. And if you find somebody you like or want to get to know – if I'm meeting you for the first time and we're not doing a podcast, we're probably going to go eat. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if we have a good experience, we're going to eat some more. Yeah. The, name a city in the U.S. specifically that you think is a little underrated as a food town. I have my own answer, but I'm going to save it for now. Oh, okay. What's uh, underrated? Well, I, it used to be L.A. Yeah. Because L.A. was underrated anyway. Yeah. It was always, you know, second to mm-hmm. New York. But I dare say, and this is a New Yorker talking, mm. I'm from New York, right? I love New York. I will always be a New Yorker. Mm. LA might have the edge right now mm. because of the diversity, even more here than New York. Yeah. Here's the other thing about New York, and I love it. Every restaurant is full. Yeah. Because it has to be. People have to eat. Mm-hmm. They're so, you know, they're, they're piled up on top of each other, literally, in, in apartment buildings. Right. And so they want to go out to eat. So whether the restaurant is good or bad, it's going to be full. Mm-hmm. Here might be actually a little more discerning. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because we don't have to yeah. go right there. We'll drive. We have the car. <laughs> so the car maybe helps the food scene. Right. I can't tell you I've been everywhere in America. I don't know what else is. Oh, here's an up and coming city that I think is phenomenal food wise now. Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just great. Yeah. It used to be uh, junk food only. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Cheese steaks. Yeah. Now, I mean, to one of the top Israeli restaurants in America is there. That that genius, uh, Michael Solomonov, yeah. he came with me to Israel. He's in that episode. But I love him from Philadelphia. From, uh, if you're in Philadelphia, you got to go to Zahav. You got to go to, you gotta go to uh, uh, Abe Fisher. He's got a hummus place uh, in, in New York mm-hmm. called Dizengoff. You can go there if you're in New York. Um, so there's wonderful stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. Every city now, here's what I think. The food scene around the world got better once the internet happened because a kid in Iowa can see what a chef in France is doing. Mm. Never had exposure to that before, right? Not only can see what he's doing, but there's probably a video on YouTube that shows you how he's doing it. Yeah. Then he can emulate that, put his own twist on it, you know, and suddenly you have some kind of Iowan-French hybrid, <laughs> which is everything. Yeah. That's how innovation happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. young people with ideas. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I love when I travel. There's a kind of, you know, this Brooklyn, this Brooklynization yeah. of the world where the kids go into the cheap neighborhood for rent, rent-wise. It's easier to start a business in this forgotten part of town. And suddenly it blooms and blossoms 
only because of the strength of their ideas and execution. Yeah. But because of their creativity. And that's how it's always been. That's why we persist as a as a species. Yeah. Yeah. My answer used to always be Atlanta, but I feel like people know Atlanta now, like Atlanta's yes. great food. I'm saying now increasingly Milwaukee, which oh. has some great, especially German food, has like yes. a rich history there. Yes, they have yes. some really great German food, but they have uh, all kinds of, like I've had some of the best Indian food I've had in my wow. life in Milwaukee. So, no kidding. Yeah. I, I think it's worth exploring. I think it's like, it's not as good as like Chicago, which is right next door, which is why Chicago's people amazing. don't often go there. But I think if you have like a day to go to Milwaukee and just poke around it, there's a lot of great Look stuff. Look how there. many great cities we have yeah. to eat in. Yeah. New York, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., New Orleans. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Charleston, I hear. I haven't been there yet. I have to mm-hmm. go there. Philly, we just mentioned. Milwaukee. I hear Cleveland has a oh, yeah. booming scene right now. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati, even. Right? There's there's wonderful places. We didn't even talk about Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that with that history and in, in, in barbecue and, and all the other great food that's there. You go to Austin. That's one of the great food cities of America. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have stood in line for barbecue in Austin so many times. Franklin's. <laughs> um, do you like cooking? Do you like to make yourself a meal? Here's the thing, Todd. <laughs> I meet a lot of great chefs around the world. They can't write a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do everything. I appreciate them. Right. They laugh at my show. I eat their food. Right. I'm not I'm, – uh, there's so many people that I love and admire who I want to support. Mm-hmm. I don't have the talent, I don't think, and I don't have the patience. Sure. And why should I do this when right down the street is someone who does it so well? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but you, you'll never find a bigger fan. I yeah. love it so much. I'm, 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 I'm a good audience. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about you said that. Uh, after Raymond went off the air, it felt like maybe perhaps people didn't want to buy what you had to sell or yes. something like that. Yes. And I think of Raymond as this great, uh, kind of the last great stand of the, what we call the multi-camera sitcom, which for people who don't, are in, aren't intimately baked into TV terms, you might think of as like the sitcoms that are filmed in front of an audience. That's right. the audience laughing. But I kind of feel like we're hitting a renaissance of those. We've mm-hmm. had um, Carmichael show, the one day at a time uh Reboot right. is great. Uh, I just watched two episodes of the new Roseanne, which are very funny. They are. Yes. Oh, I can't funny. wait to see it. Um, uh, do you feel like that that is coming back around that style of sitcom, or or, or do you feel like it's still sort of out of favor? Oh, everything comes back around. Mm. You know, they 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 were saying, oh, uh, the, nobody wants to see four camera sitcom. It wasn't the form; mm-hmm. it was the content. Make a good one, and they'll watch. Mm-hmm. That's all. It's like that with everything. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's always been that way. What did you like about that format? Because um, I know you've done some single camera pilots or developed mm-hmm. some single mm-hmm. camera shows, but what do you, what do you think is strong about that format? Like, what kind of stories can be yes. told in that? So format? I come from theater, right? I right. studied theater sure. in school, and so the wonderful thing about the four camera sitcom is that it's this remarkable cross between theater and film. Mm-hmm. So we write it, rehearse it, present it, perform it as a play. But then we also have the flexibility of multiple takes, multiple camera angles, right? Mm -hmm. And the permanence, meaning it lasts forever, of film. Right. So it's this wonderful hybrid of theater and film. And that's why it endures because people recognize it. Oh, we see they are 
It's presentational when you watch the four-camera sitcom because you know there's an audience watching. So gr- the greatest ones on the family, let's mm-hmm. say, Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're sitting in the theater watching some great play yeah. for mm-hmm. a half an hour. Yeah. And that's what you want, that communal experience of sitting in the theater together, but you're at your home watching it on the television. Yeah. It's a captured moment. A, you're actually seeing a live moment. Not a, Yes, of course, it's manufactured, but not as manufactured right. as watching film. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a spontaneity to it. You hear these laughs. You, you, watch, you watch All the Family or, or, or Raymond even, and you'll see somebody says a line, and there'll be a cut to the reaction of the other actor. Yeah. Now. We didn't know that the studio audience was going to laugh so much at the reaction shot yeah. of the other act. We hoped they would laugh, but we didn't know that the actors would now have to stand there and wait <laughs> as if on stage in a play for that laugh to go. Right. And sometimes it gets even funnier because of what the actors naturally do in response, in reaction to that reaction. Yeah. And it, we call it riding that wave of, yeah. of the laugh. It's just... You don't get that in the movie. Yeah. You don't get that. Yeah, it's it's uh they have to make that choice to now cut. Yeah. They don't know how long that laugh's gonna be. But we can, you know, as editors, we can hold it, hold it, and it gets funnier and funnier and funnier. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, that's that's just one of the gorgeous things about doing it. Plus, when if you're lucky enough to make one of these shows, it's so satisfying. To be standing there right. when this stuff is happening right in front of you and you know you're getting it yeah. and you're going to have it to keep. And, oh, my God, to have, you know, a good episode that worked in front of an audience and to know that we now get to save that moment in time, world's best home movie. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. The thing I think Raymond did well that a lot of, let's say it's imitators, did not, um, was uh, – you like the laughter never felt fake. Does that make sense? Well, like, there there are people that will boost the laughs, yes, uh, artificially. But I also have found that like there are shows where I go to tapings, they have you know the hype guy out in the audience, yes. and he gets yes. you so hyped up that you're yes. going to laugh at anything, yes, even if it's not particularly funny. Or the mics will be like right here, yes, yes, so yes. They pick up your slightest little sound, yes. And like it never felt that way with Raymond, even when you were a big hit. You know, and late in your run when, like, Brad Garrett would walk in a room and make a face, everybody would laugh. Like, that's all you needed to do to make them laugh. By the way, I can tell you, you want to know the truth? Sure. We had to start taking laughs out. Okay. Because they were actually affecting the timing. They were laughing at the setup. Yeah. Don't laugh yet. (laughs) (laughs) There's a joke coming. You're laughing at when he walked in. Yeah. Wait. Mm. But they were so excited. They were so, because they loved the people. They loved Mm. Brad, Ray, Patty. They loved them. Mm -hmm. So I understand it, but. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm thinking is um, one of the things I love about multi-camera, especially in the early going, is the audience keeps you honest. Yes. But at a certain point, the audience is going to laugh at anything because they know the characters exactly. so well. How did you keep yourselves honest so Wait, that you were still telling a, a funny that's story? That's a great question. You, you actually said it in the last part of that line so that you were still telling a funny story. The story mm-hmm. is everything. Mm-hmm. So sometimes a joke, no matter how funny, Unless it was the laugh of the show. Yeah. If it wasn't on story, you know, the laughs, the audience, having time for the audience to laugh, that affects literally the time of the show that we have. Right. So we actually have to cut moments out of the show, not just the audience 
physical laughing, but the whole line, the whole sometimes part of a scene, sometimes a whole scene. Why? Because the show ran 35 minutes when we only have 21. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. CBS isn't going to just give you <laughs> their, their commercial time mm-hmm. So because you got some laughs. So the arbiter is, is this on story? Is this, does, this have, does this laugh affect the story if we take it out? Yeah. We have enough laughs that are on story. Yeah. That's a nice place to be, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but everything else, as much as we love it, and it kills someone in comedy to get rid of a laugh, yeah. have to do it. Yeah. So we have on DVD the deleted scene. So you can get to see <laughs> those moments, too, that were maybe off story or we just didn't have time for it. How did you learn to do that? It can be really hard to cut something that you love. You're right. And here's what it is. You agonize and agonize and you hate it and you hate it. And then, all right, cut it. And the moment you do that, you don't miss it. Yeah. You don't mm. miss it. Yeah, I think that's a lesson in life. Mm-hmm. Mm. You dread, you dread, you dread, and then you do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually something I've talked about with a lot of people who who do TV comedy, which yeah. is there's sort of this like like when you go to Netflix, you can get a full 30 minutes. Yep. But there's also a school of thought that's like, if you have to cut it down to 21, yep. then you know everything in it is what you want to save. Where, where, do you, where do you sort of fall in that debate? Uh, I love this uh, self-imposed discipline. <laughs> so uh, what do I mean? On CBS, even at this time from 1996 to 2005 when we were on, we actually got some notes. Could you be a little hipper and edgier? Could mm. you be a little hotter and sexier? I'm like, yeah, that's – that's Ray and me, hotter and sexier. <laughs> this is, you got the right guys for this, right? I felt like we could have been way more suggestive in our language. Mm-hmm. We could have said words that you hear all the time now in sitcoms. Number one, I thought it was easy. So did my uh, crew and my staff, my writers, you know, who I'd be nothing uh, without. So did Ray. Mm -hmm. We knew that we could suggest something. What was the cleverest way to do it? What was the way that the adult would get it and the kid wouldn't? Right. Let's aim over the kids' heads so that the family can watch together. Right. And that grandma isn't offended. Mm. That was a conscious choice. We could have said – the, the part that there was a, there's a show we did about a sculpture. Mm-hmm. Marie makes a sculpture. It looks like a, a part of the anatomy, sure. a, a woman's part of the anatomy. Right. We could have said the word for that. Mm. What if it was almost like a comedic challenge? What if we never had to say it? Mm. And to me, the show is funnier for it. Yeah. Okay. On Netflix, they say around around an hour. Yeah. But they'll say like, if it's 15 minutes short, that's okay. If it's 15 minutes long, that's okay. But they don't, you know, it's, it's all in a, in, a, in a, you know, you feel like you're going on a, on a in a warehouse full of uh, shows, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It literally doesn't matter mm-hmm. to them. So self-imposed. I think we should be under an hour. Okay. I think, you know, maybe there'll be exceptions where it's, uh, there's so much great stuff. We have to be over now. But we're sell- I'm saying as good as the show is now, I'm looking at cuts. Right. What can we cut to get it under an hour? Yeah. Hmm. I think that's important. Sure. I think you get away with the, the, the minimum. Mm-hmm. You want to be as tight and, and good as possible because you can 
become indulgent and and say, oh, yes, just me eating is fascinating to watch. No, it's not. It has to be. There's more to it than that. If it was just me eating, I think you'd get bored. Yeah. There has to be more. It has to be funny. It has to be entertaining. It has to be beautiful. I want it to be a very modest goal. The most entertaining food and travel show in the world. That's Mm. my goal. Mm. Sure. I'm going for it. How many shots do you get? You know, on Raymond, I felt, how many shots do we get to do this? It has to be good. I want to make it good for us. Yeah. Not because of some ratings or something. We live and die by our work. Mm -hmm. This is our, this is your name is on it. At the end of the day, you have this DVD, this tape of your show. You want to be able to show it to people later? You want your kids to be able to show it to their friends? Hey, my dad made this. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the, what's in the back of our heads. Yeah. yeah. That uh, I used to tell people, yeah, I'm doing the show for CBS. Everybody loves me. I'm doing it for CBS. But in the back of my mind, it's for Nick at night. Yeah. I want it to last. And guess what? With that goal in mind, it's now on, you on know, TV land. Yeah. TV right? Land. Yeah. So yeah. it is. It, it lasted because we decided to make something that might be worthy of lasting. Yeah. It's not just let's get those ratings right now. We'll say the we'll we'll have the sexy thing and we'll make a sexy joke and make it maybe a little vulgar even and that'll get attention. Yeah, you win the battle, you lose the war. Right. Here's the thing I found a lot when I look at people who are really trying to break into the entertainment industry or are, you know, starting to make their own web series or making their own podcasts or whatever, a great website helps. If you have a website that people can read, that people can follow, that people can look at and feel excited and engaged, like there is so much that that does for what you're trying to do. If you are somebody like me who's got creative ideas and wants a way to let the rest of the world know about those creative ideas, consider making your website with Squarespace. Squarespace will help you showcase your work. It'll help you turn your cool idea into a website. Or you know what? If you've got to like sell some stuff, you can do that too. They have great templates created by world-class designers. They have powerful e-commerce functionality, and you can sell anything. And they have the ability to customize the look and the feel, the settings, the products, and more with just a few clicks. So everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't need to worry about, like, people looking at their phone. They also help you buy your domain and choose from over 200 extensions. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use my offer code INTERESTING to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Once again, that is squarespace.com. The offer code is INTERESTING. Use that. I, I guess tell them Todd sent you if, that, if that's an option. Like, go ahead. Uh, what are the comedies you're watching on TV now? Like, what's making you laugh? Everything. Uh, if you have time to watch. TV. Well, be- Better Things is awesome. Yeah. And I know Pam. I did a sitcom with Pam uh-huh. in 1990. Wow. She yeah. was like a kid, a 20-something-year-old kid, a little kid. <laughs> She's so great. Yeah. This is her voice, her vision. She's extraordinary. She's fantastic. She's a unique character mm-hmm. that you love watching. This is a lesson to everybody. You know, they say, write what you know. That's a cliche. It's not a cliche. That's all we have is what we know. That's what separates me from you and this person from Pam. And Pam is someone who's writing so specifically about her experience that there's something universal yeah. in the feeling that you – when you watch it. You identify with her because when we get specific, that's the most human thing of all. 
<laughs> and then we relate to it just because we all have specifics in our lives and we connect on the most human level. Mm. Yeah. That's what's universal. Yeah. Yeah. So that I watch that. I watch uh I got to be honest, all the late night shows, yeah. I think they're doing God's work at this moment <laughs> in time. I think Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel, look at Jimmy, using his powers for good. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. He's so brave and he tears up when it matters. You, you fall in love with the guy because he's so uh, genuine. Yeah. Mm. And he's using this platform where many people would say, eh, shut up and tell your jokes. Mm. But look what he does. That's heroic to me. So I'm getting so much more than I bargained for when I watched the late night show. Yeah. I'm getting a I'm getting a, a, a conscience from people who feel the way I do. Right. Uh about things. And I don't think I'm alone. Yeah. Yeah. And thank God for that. Yeah. Could be saving us all. Mm. Uh John Oliver. Yeah. Genius. You know? There's, there's things we can argue about Bill Maher and, uh, you know, his personal taste or character. But that's a very vitally important show, mm. the, discussing the topics uh, that they're discussing. And there's, uh, there's great laughs on that show, too. Sure. Uh, but sitcoms, I don't know, maybe because I, 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 I've done it, that maybe they're not as fun for me. Ah, that's not true. When I cut, stumble across, you know, Silicon Valley is great, or mm. or uh, there's just not as many of the old school ones that I love because I'm old school yeah. myself. Yeah, that's just taste, right? Yeah. Mm. I used to say when people say, uh, "Do you hire? Uh, what do you look for when you hire? Will you hire women? Will you hire uh, African Americans? Will you hire Chinese people?" I say, "Listen, I, uh, a script comes to me. It's in black and white. I don't care if you're African American, Chinese, Japanese, woman, Indian. I, I don't care as long as you write like an old Jew." Okay, <laughs> that's just my. That's if I see funny on right. the page, that's what I mean. Right, right. Mm. That kind of rhythm, that kind of comedy. And I'm I'm just joking about the Jew part, but it's it's I'm looking for funny. Yeah. As long as you're funny, what do I care? Yeah. But what you think is funny and what I think is funny may be two different things. Sure. So my personal taste, that's all I can go by. Can't try you try if you're vague, you try to hit everybody, mm. you miss everybody. Mm. Because all our lives deal in specifics. So when you when you drill down the way Pam does on better things. To her experience, her life, that she can write better than anybody because it's hers. Yeah. You hit that gold. You hit that 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 wonderful. Uh, did you see the, her finale? This yeah yeah with, with the dance for, it was the, amazing. for her kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous, gorgeous. There's not many better moments in television than that. Yeah. I want to ask you one last food question before we move into our final segment. Uh, <laughs> is, a, is there a, uh, a a game show aspect to this? Oh, well, yeah, there is actually a game <laughs> show aspect coming up. But right, right now I want to ask you one last food question, which is every time I go to a new city, at least in the States, yes, I try to find the best hamburger. Like that's oh. the first thing I do. I feel like you can tell a lot if you find the best hamburger. So what is your favorite hamburger anywhere? It's so funny that you said that because – just yesterday, I was invited to the secret backyard hamburger thing. Okay. Called Burgers Never Say Die. Have okay. you heard about this? I have not. 
now I have to. I don't know invited. if I'm creating a riot now by <laughs> saying this, but it's I can't even tell you where it is. Yeah. You have to like know somebody, get an invitation or something. But this guy's making these burgers in his backyard. He's a, a self-taught chef, and there's there's lines for this, yeah, uh, uh, understandably. But I had some foodie friends who got me in, mm. and you know that's the burger of the moment. Yeah. Right now, this is what the if you want to know what the foodies are talking about, it's it's that one. Bur- burgers never say die. You can I think you can look it up on the internet. Uh the other one I love is Mo Better Burgers on on La Brea. Okay. I love those people. They're wonderful. That that's a classic burger. Like like if your mom made you a burger, but your mom was very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh love that one. Oh, the burger at Republic. Okay. So this is a higher-end burger, but it's on uh, – talk about idealized foods from childhood. Yeah. This is an idealized version of a Big Mac. Mm. It's only available at lunch, and it's spectacular. And then a lot of people don't know this about Nancy Silverton, the chef from Moza. Sure. But when she makes you a burger, you, you think you're in heaven because she <laughs> – I'm sure, Every yeah. single element of that, the meat is very carefully sourced, Right. And the fat content is perfect the way she does. You know, she's the queen of food. She she knows what she's doing. And then everything else she has made from scratch, including the bun. Right. Including the mustard. Including the ketchup. Right. That's – so you're having like the most artisanal burger you could have in your life and she'll do it in her backyard, yeah. you know, at a barbecue. Yeah. So you got to love her. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a burger in Copenhagen at a gas station. Okay. It's called the Gasoline Grill. One of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. This Danish guy was an exchange student in high school in Wyoming, Jackson Hole. They yeah. know a thing or two about burgers. Fell in love with burgers, came back to Copenhagen, opened a burger place in a gas station that's maybe better than what he had in Wyoming. Yeah. Because why? He's putting his little spin on it. He's using Danish ingredients, but swear uh, you're getting a like he does this thing, a butter burger. Mm-hmm. This maybe is in different parts of America. That I just don't know about It's in about Milwaukee, it. yeah. It is. Yes. So instead of a hunk of cheese, yeah. a big pat of butter is yeah. melted on top of that burger. And it sounds odd to some people, but when you think about it, they put a big pat, pat of butter on a steak yeah. and eat that. So this was that. That was tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. I love Copenhagen. One of my, oh, that's one of my a gorgeous, city. great city. Yeah. So we ask all of our guests some of the same questions oh, okay. at the end of every episode. I'll so try not ask. to be the dumbest. <laughs> My first one is, who is the, the writer you've learned the most from that you've never met? Like, dead or alive is fine. Wow, that's a great question. Preston Sturgis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I have gotten to meet some of my heroes. I have gotten to meet Woody Allen. I have gotten to meet Neil Simon, Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Norman Lear, Jim Brooks. Right? Yeah. These are... These are the people who influence me the most, but I know them. Yeah. <laughs> That's even better. And they're nice, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're an amalgam of all our influences. Yeah. Uh, Preston Sturgis, for those of you who don't know, was the Woody Allen of the 40s. He wrote and directed comedies uh, and was the auteur of these great movies, Sullivan's Travels, yeah. uh, Hail the Conquering Hero, uh, uh Palm Beach story. The Lady Eve is awesome. Uh, I recommend this. I hope if you if you take nothing else away from this podcast, you'll go just Google Preston Sturgis and watch one of his movies. The dialogue alone 
is so rapid fire and so funny and the characters are so funny. The stories are so good. They're kind of better than anything we have now. Yeah. Comedy wise in the mm. movies. Yeah. He's Sullivan's travels is perpetually on my list of my 10 favorite movies. True, it's so spectacular. It's, yeah. It's, and it's about comedy. Yeah. Yeah. What is a, I'm going to change this question slightly. It's usually a pop culture outing. I'm going to say, what's like a food outing? Like you've gone on a date to a restaurant or taking your family to a restaurant or something like that, that just ended disastrously for you. Either because the food wasn't good or like something else happened. I took everyone on Raymond. We got invited because HBO was a producer on the show. We got to go to San Francisco for the taping of the Rolling Stones in a, in a, stadium sure so we made this a weekend Mm -hmm. and i booked a restaurant in san francisco that gave us the room you know and i was going to pay for everything because why we're we're doing well we're on a (laughs) show that's doing well so why not give back to everybody and have this well i'm telling you this seafood restaurant i won't say the name was so terrible (laughs) it was like you would have rather eaten your shoe (laughs) like i'm talking about bad fish yeah i'm so lucky because this is the only example of this I can think of. But I'm talking about 30 people yeah. all having a terrible time. That's no. not fun No, when that happens. I'm but sure. that, was a, that was like, oh, this is going very badly. And we may get sick. <laughs> Did you get sick? I don't remember. I was sick. But I got the pill. I was sick. Yeah. But I'll tell you, that I'll never forget that. Yeah. And I think I'll never forget it because of how rare the experience is for me. I usually have wonderful experiences. Yeah. I do. I'm so lucky. I love it so much. It doesn't even have to, you know, the food doesn't even have to be the best I ever had. It just has to be good enough to have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to then ask the final question, which sort of pivots off that, which is, and I've asked Ray this question as well on this show. You have. Uh, the best meal you've ever eaten, he talked about a piece of corn, so, or an ear of corn. <laughs> so, you did really? Yes. So what is, what's the best meal I, you've ever eaten, I, either either for the food or for the company? I love that, that he uh, said it was an ear of corn. That's very nice. I, I tell you, I, I, I've had so many, I, uh, you know, because now I'm in the business of having it. Yeah. But the cow soy thing I just described, mm-hmm. that's way up there. Yeah. Uh, I, it takes, it'll take me a minute to think about other wonderful – Things that I've loved as much. Oh, maybe the first time I went to Peter Luger's mm-hmm. in New York yeah. and had steak the way you never had steak before. Mm-hmm. And it was suddenly, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, I've had steak. Yeah. But not like this. Yeah. That blew the, my head off. When was that? How old were you? Say in my 20s, I guess. So yeah. long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Or the, the first time I had pasta in Italy. Yeah. The first time. You can't believe it. You think, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Pasta. It's pasta. It's pasta. No, it's not. It's only 100 times better yeah. there because it's where you're sitting. You know, I always say Italy wins. If you would ask me my favorite place mm-hmm. so far, I haven't seen everything, but so far Italy wins. Why? Every place you look is gorgeous, beautiful. Every place you look is this gorgeous picture you could frame it. Mm-hmm. In every part of Italy. I don't know if there's a bad part. Yet. Yeah. I haven't been there. The food is, like I said, a simple dish of pasta can change your life. Yeah. And then everybody's hugging and kissing you. So what's not to like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Italy wins for me so far. Italy wins. Yeah. Phil, thank you for joining us. I loved it. Uh, Somebody Feed Phil is on Netflix. Uh, you can see new episodes Friday, January 12th. 
Thank you. I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf. In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. And the closing credits are fun. We love the closing credits. So stick around because you're going to have a great time. Fox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo designs, thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Allright. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering and post-production are thanks to P3 Post. And we recorded this week's episode at the P3 Post podcast studio in Hollywood, California. Our editor is Peter Leonard. Our recording engineer is Jay Brooks. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever other podcast you have. Somebody somebody left us a comment on something called Podbean, which I've never heard of. But if you're listening to us on Podbean, please rate, review, and subscribe there. Uh, you can reach me at Todd at Vox.com if you have something you want to say that you don't want to leave in a review. You can reach the show at ityi.podcast at Vox.com, ie.podcast at Vox.com. And you can always tweet at me at TVOTI. That's Tavoti. We will be back next week with another guest from the world of arts and entertainment or media and culture. Somebody that I think is interesting. But until then, if you can read the closing credits with me at exactly the same way, at exactly the same time you win a prize, please send documentation and I will send you a free sticker. 